HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Whole Foods Market celebrates Earth Month with the Do Something Real Film Festival, a collection of six provocative character-driven films focused on food, environmental issues, and everyday people with a greater vision. Come see one of the six features at City Cinema's Village East from Saturday, April 16th through Thursday, April 21st, every night at 6 p.m. Learn more about the films and special events at www.dosomethingreal.com. That's www.dosomethingreel.com. Sponsored by Whole Foods Market. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. It's 4:20, 2011. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have bartender, brand ambassador, bar owner. Bartender, <laughs> Frank Cisneros. What's up? You've got uh, you got a lot going on, Frank. You uh, bartend at Dram, one of the best cocktail bars in Brooklyn. Worst, you, worst cocktail bars in Brooklyn. Well, yeah. Oh, wait, Abbott. No, that, that's just a quote from some shitty magazines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, part owner of The Drink, a uh, fairly new bar, opened this winter. Yeah, um, December 4th. December 4th. Day before repeal day. That's cool. Um, and uh, you currently work for uh, Lucas Bowles, representing uh, Bowles Geneva, uh, as well as some of their other products. Right, yeah. Uh, Bowles Geneva, that's kind of our flagship. Galliano, uh, Damrak Gin, and new product called uh, Vacari, which is a Sambuca. Sweet. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how did you get uh, wrapped up in this whole world? Like, What, what got you started in like drinks and bartending? Man, um, it's it's a funny story. I guess uh, it, it starts before I'm, like most people, starts before I'm legally able to drink. Um, I was living in southwestern Washington State at the time, and I was vintage shopping one day, and I came across a copy of uh, Booth B's uh, World's Drinks and How to Mix Them. Mm-hmm. And it was an original copy. I had no idea what it was. Uh, it was maybe $5. It was just old, and I thought it was interesting. So I bought it, took it home. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who had a little bit of money. And for my birthday, she built and stocked me a bar in my basement. So I was living in a place where this is, you know, 2000 or something like that. There was no cocktail bars, let alone any bars at all, anywhere near where I lived. 
And this was in Portland? Washington at the time. Washington. It was right before I moved to Portland, Oregon. So, um, so, you know, maybe 20 years old or something. And I took about a year trying to mix every single drink I could in, uh, in, that, dr- in, in that drinks book. Uh, the really odd thing about it, too, is I lived with a couple of roommates who had a 13-year-old brother at the time. And he'd come over to the house all the time. I'd get maybe a little bit too inebriated to make my own drinks. So I taught him how to, you know, shake a Tom Collins. <laughs> and the deal was make me a Tom Collins, anything that's left over in the tin, you can have a little sip of. <laughs> so, so I think we both got a pretty good deal out of that. So, you know, at that time, there's no maraschino liqueur, no chartreuse. There's just all sorts of things in that book that I had no idea what they were. I remember moving to Portland, Oregon, and uh, I walked into some, like, just horrible dive bar. And one of the first drinks I ever ordered was a, was a Tom Collins and it came, you know, came out of a gun. It was just like gin and a gun. And I was like, wait a second, you're not going to put super fine sugar in that and the juice of half a lemon? I was like so confused. <laughs> and they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, I know, you know, whatever, never mind. So like everyone else, I think I spent the next five years just not really worrying about classic cocktails. I, it was just an odd hobby. And uh, for the most part, I was working as a DJ at the time in Portland, Oregon. When I wasn't DJing, I'd hop back behind the bar and just do a dive bar bartend like everyone else was doing at the time and i moved to new york city to continue my djing career and randomly wound up working in the office of a restaurant uh, a really cool organic restaurant called counter which is now shut i think just recently shut down and i got really interested in wine part of my job was updating the wine list all the time i just got really interested in the sort of idiosyncrasies of wine um to me, it was a lot like DJing. It was like these esoteric labels. You collect this esoteric knowledge, but your job is to kind of relay that knowledge at the right times in the right ways. And there was something kind of romantic about, you know, it was rock and roll to me in some weird way. Yeah. And it spoke to me the way that records did and DJing did. So I pursued that and got like a formal, you know, degree in wine. I, I went through the SSA program and got a sommelier degree. Right when that was going on, though, it was like 2006, 2007. It's kind of like, again, the rock and roll reference. It's like the year punk broke, like the, that movie 19, about 1991, like the year punk broke with like Nirvana and Mud Honey and all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously had amazing bars like Milk and Honey, Pagan Club, Flatiron that predated that. But 2006, 2007, 2008 is when you have Death and Company, PDT. And I found myself going to all these openings and uh, all these amazing brands were being launched, like Absinthe Brands. Geneva mm-hmm. was launched in 2008. I remember being there, and it was just like, whoa, it's just such a cool, vibrant time to be a part of it. And I was looking at these guys and going like, wow, these guys really know how to party. Yeah. Like a little bit more than the wine guys do. Well, I, I always relate music with, with cocktails and with spirits, and uh, I personally tend to name a lot of my cocktails after like a song or an album. We both do that. Tanya yeah. Guffey does that, too. Totally. I think Tom Chadwick does that. I think people like us that come yeah. from that music. I think it's, it's a pretty like standard thing for us to do. I and mean, also taking a name of a song and finding inspiration to make a cocktail. Yeah. Like know, the hearts of Oak. Like the hearts of Oak. Yeah. Um, and uh, also about like go back. I think it's interesting like because uh, I also am a pretty avid record collector as well. But that's also like the record collecting to me is I think the, the way that it uh, – is the similarities that it has with uh, uh, like spirits and wine and cocktails, you know, we're constantly like this style of bartending. You are a collector. I mean, we're constantly like fleshing out our home bars with all kinds of rare bitters, vintage bottles of spirits and like uh, rare spirits that you can't get in the United States, 
specifically rums, like Cuban rums, yeah. to make like you know cool Australian t- rums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Inner Circle. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, cock- old cocktail books, like you were just saying before. It's like yeah. it's like a collector's hobby. It's like this is kind of like a collector's lifestyle. There's and, a total uh, analog to it. I mean, that's a, a a big part of it was, you know, when I met you and you hadn't you haven't come from you were working for Linnell's previously mm-hmm. to when I met you at, at prime meets speaking of collecting <laughs> yeah which is like that's like that's like the no wave like record collecting world of like of of liquor was linnell's it was just like the dusty crazy record store where you find the really cool stuff yeah uh there's a total analog for it um yeah i mean there there's like a, a beautiful sort of way that you can acquire that knowledge and then you and i always talk about educating people in the right way Mm -hmm. about it too which is something i've always thought like when you're a dj yeah you might have the rarest weirdest jam to throw out there to someone but maybe if madonna's gonna be the thing that really gets them off like that's your job just get them off yeah so i think both you and i are pretty good at like getting people off (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah I, i totally agree i mean like you know there's constantly like the uh the common uh nowadays you know that the whole issue with like vodka behind the bar and you know now there's like this backlash against like that backlash where we were like yeah, yeah let's just try something else man i only try drink and, vodka I, sodas now just for the record oh yeah 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 delicious <laughs> refreshing <laughs> um actually there's nothing more refreshing than a vodka like a pint of vodka soda and a really hot summer's day <laughs> like on a rooftop it's just like alcoholic water, man. It's like it's not the worst thing. I can say the same thing There's about a Tom time and Collins, a place though. for it. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it is. It's like that's where you get your hydration. <laughs> it's got water content. I'm dehydrated. Give me some vodka. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so you uh, you were working at Counter, which was an all organic yeah, spot too. So that was really yeah. interesting. I was there with Tanya Guffey. Uh, we brought on Nick Jarrett. I met Nick a few years back at uh, Tales of the Cocktail. And he was working in Philadelphia at the time, and we were like, "Dude, you have to come up here and work in work in New York with us." So he'd come up. Dude was crazy. He was you know traveling up here one one or two days a week and mm-hmm. working um, behind the bar. So we were trying to you know come to come come to put this beverage program together that was all organic. And this was you know a few years ago. There was nothing. There's no organic vermouth. There was one organic whiskey. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no organic triple sex. So to try to put together a full bar program, we had to learn so much about infusing things and about how, you know creating our own things. And we had very little really to look at. So we'd dig in old cocktail books and old recipe books and just try to approximate things the best we can. Again, this is at the same time that all these other bars were popping up. Um, so that became really exciting. And that's when I kind of made the decision that I, I wanted to go back to this thing that at one point was my hobby. I was like, wow, I could really kind of make this my career. Um, but I needed really like the muscle memory to do it. Like dive bar bartending is one thing, of course, but to really understand how to stir and how to shake and how to work with ice and all these different things, I had no idea. Yeah. And I was lucky enough then to meet Tom Chadwick. Serendipitously enough, I lived across the street from this bar called Bushwick Country Club, mm-hmm. which is probably most famous for having invented the pickleback. Right. <laughs> um, or at least popularized it in New York. Um, he was working there. I was really good friends with the owner, and so we both started working happy hours there, and we kind of combined our happy hours, and he would bring in all of, his own, all of his own spirits, like Benedictine and Chartreuse and Maraschino liqueur, things that they don't have at a typical dive bar, and bring in all of his own ice. Like, he had, a cold, he had access to a cold draft machine, so he's yeah. bringing in cold draft ice to this, like, literally, like, balls-of-the-wall dive bar. 
um, bitters, all these different things, his own vintage coupes. And we'd make crazy cocktails for people. And essentially, he taught me, he taught me the muscle memory that I needed to put to my book knowledge. He cool. kind of rounded me out as a bartender. The same time, I was hanging out a lot with this guy named Dave Catania. Yeah. Who, Kishasa Dave. Kishasa Dave. Yeah, yeah. Who we know, yeah, we all know really well. Absolute great guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, this new bar is opening up called Prime Meats. You should go check them out. And I was like, all right, that's, yeah, cool. So I went down, and that's where I met you. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I remember, like, sitting, like, was it table table one that we were at? Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, bright, sunny day. And I remember the very first thing I looked at was you had a drink that had Fernet Branca and Branca Menta. And I hadn't tried Branca Menta at the time. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. How much Fernet's in this? And you're like, three ounces. <laughs> and I was like, you have a drink with three ounces. I, I need to work for you. Like, whatever it takes, I have yeah. to work for you. I remember uh, I was I was up in the prep kitchen working on something. I Probably making bitters or something. And uh, someone came up to, uh, up to the prep kitchen to uh, come find me. Uh, that's when I was interviewing that day. And they were like, uh, there's some guy here named Frank with a mustache. Uh, he, he's got to be here for you. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I was like, all right, cool. Then came down, and uh, the rest is history. I think there was a time when someone named Tom Selleck came looking for you. With a <laughs> different sort of thing, though, I it think. Was, that was different. Yeah. Some yeah. sort of car chase was involved. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. <laughs> that, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> Prime Meats really was like where, like, that was, a, that was my big break. So, Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, and it was also where we started talking about, to uh, like bring this back to a point you just said before, uh, <laughs> dive bar mixology. We always joked about dive bar mixology. And, uh, yeah, your taking, bar. Where you, where you used to work before, you kind of did that, too. Yeah, totally. But then there was also like... Uh, well, when we stack glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, make uh, mimosas or, uh, you know, out of like orange soda and Miller High Life. <laughs> this actually brings up a really cool point. Um, this goes out to all the bartenders out there, too. Frank Rudy recently came to me and was asking me about serendipitous weird drinks that you come up with that just sound absolutely crazy. You know, we're known for making relatively precious cocktails with supreme ingredients, but every now and then we make something really weird. And I was at uh, Enzo Lim's new pop-up. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, which I forget the name of it. It's this new, uh, it's this new uh, Filipino like pop up mm-hmm. brunch place. Amazing food, and I noticed they had tang on the menu and they had Campari on the back bar. And I was like, tang and Campari would probably go really well together. Yeah, it's like an astronaut sunrise. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. so good. And Frank Green was like, "Really? That's good?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, it's really, really good." Um, and it turned out that also Enzo and Gardner Dunn had come up with that independently as well. It's just like one of those like everyone just kind of yeah. comes up with it. So. Any bartenders out there, you guys have come up with something really weird that, like, you know, Campari and Tang or orange soda and Andre? Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Let us know. Frank Rooney wants to hear about it. Yeah. And uh, when we get back from this quick break that we're going to take, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Bowl Geneva and the history of that. Also, uh, Dram and the Drink. All right. Back in a moment. It has turned into crystal. There's a bluebird sitting on a branch I guess I'll take my pistol I've got it in my hand Because he's on my land And so the story ended Do you know it all so well? Oh 
This is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Take a swig of Beer Sessions Radio every Tuesday at 5 p.m. with Jimmy Caraboni, the owner of Jimmy's Number 43, and Ray Dieter, owner of DBA. Beer-loving raconteurs offer toasts, share craft beer news, and swap anecdotes about their lives on the front lines of the craft beer movement. Again, Beer Sessions Radio, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, we're back at the Speakeasy. Uh, I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today, my guest is Frank Cisneros. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we took the break, we were talking about uh, different types of cocktail, like serendipitously uh, similar cocktails around the scene. And uh, also, we were basically just bullshitting a lot about drinks and bars like we normally do at the show. (laughs) Um, So on the subject of that... uh, Tell us a little bit more about the bar, the drink. Like, what was the inspiration behind this, and what do you do there? I mean, I know, like, it's a really, it's that's actually another really funny story. Um, that you know, it goes back almost two years. Like in September, it'll be two years when we first started the concept. And when it first started, uh, it was going to be a balls of the wall, no holds barred, beer and shot bar. It was going to be canned beers from all over, um, shots of whiskey in plastic cups. Uh, couches like like super cushy couches bolted to the floor and like a cushioned uh front bar like you know like the yeah. bar top itself would be cushioned like you see in old time old man bars like naga hide like exactly kind of yeah, yeah. Totally. the whole point was to get as drunk as possible without being able to hurt yourself or anybody else <laughs> but one of the greatest things that i learned in in the process of uh of, of starting a bar the best thing i could teach anybody is that your concept never dictates the space. The space dictates the concept. Right. You can't go into some place with some beautiful, like, vaulted, exposed brick archways and be like, hey, I'm going to drop this with a bunch of plywood and just put in, like, a really shitty bar here. Yeah. And you just can't do it. Like, your your heart breaks and you're like, God, oh, this space is too too good for it. So I have these amazing partners. You know, at the time, it was just a few guys and it grew to, like, six really amazing people from disparate backgrounds. And, um, you know, Adam Collison just has an eye for design and... Uh, um, our boy, uh, Will Jones, he, uh, came from Spite and Dival, knows beer really well. So Will just kind of figured out when we found the space that we found, which is on, uh, Manhattan between Grand and Mosher, 228 Manhattan. It just, uh, had this really beautiful open vibe. We all sat down one day, I think it was at BCC and we were all talking about what we were going to do. And one of the things that connected us that kind of brought us all together was we all had this like nautical background. Nika Carlson, who's an old friend of mine from, from Oregon, who's Adam's girlfriend, um she used to sail i used to sail will still sails uh, everyone you know adam grew up in baltimore a very like maritime town so that was just like the one thing that bound us and then it was kind of a logical hop skip and a jump to do punch as well like punch mm-hmm. is just such a nautical thing yeah you know at prime meets is when i really got into punch yeah. like that you know i owe that to you your daily punch program and that that punch program pushed us all to create new punches every single day yeah, it was a good thing to. It, it's also like a mandatory practice, you know, of uh, 
every day you got to make a punch and you got to be creative on the fly and come up with something delicious it's going to sell and yeah, yeah totally. balanced and delicious and yeah <laughs> you remember pine of punch yeah oh yeah yeah julian Brizzi. tell tell them a little bit about pine of punches well uh certain nights we would uh make too much punch and by the end of the night there'd be a fair amount left over a pint so, or so you know a pint or so and uh, that would end up being someone's shift drink. They would drink a pint of punch. There's <laughs> uh, nothing more delicious. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great to kind of, like, um, you know, fall back on, on this great love of mine that I learned throughout, throughout the, you know, couple year and a half that I spent at, at, mm-hmm. at Prime Meats. Um, it just all naturally fit. And then we brought in chefs from Fetisau, uh Matt Lang. We have... Uh, Eric Mann from uh, Prune, who've all come on board, and they're doing the same sort of nautical thing with food. This whole kind of nod to self-sustainability. Like mm-hmm. We're growing like a little herb garden in the backyard, and we're growing things like a few different types of mint, uh, sage, rosemary. And those are things that are going to both go to season the food, which are you know, house-cured fish, um, and also go into syrups that we use in the punches um and we just introduced a little brunch program it's like a very humble brunch brunch program where it's just a like a bagel and a bloody mary uh all high quality ingredients we've mm-hmm. like done everything in house our own recipes and it's kind of a fun alternative to having to wait in line for brunch and you know the really busy brunch neighborhood that williamsburg is right totally um yeah so that's and and brunch is always kind of like a a hard thing to pull off and uh, oh yeah and i you always hear people <laughs> saying that brunches for amateurs or brunches for assholes but, <laughs> but uh yeah. I, yeah i almost after having worked several brunches at prime meats i i can't i can't go to brunch anymore i can't drink bloody <laughs> berries anymore i know <laughs> it uh, breaks my heart i know um but uh so going back to the program that that you guys use at uh at the drink so you do punches and you do awesome beers and wine. Yeah. And, but you don't really label yourself as a, a cocktail bar. Absolutely not. In fact, I just had one of our bartenders the other day ask, like, we're just coming out with a new menu for spring. Mm-hmm. And our menu li- lists, you know, about a dozen punches, uh, our little food menu, our wines, and then a huge selection of bottled beers, which tend to be uh, Belgian. Again, like our beers are amazing. Our draft lines constantly change. And so it's like, you know, kind of watch the board for what's mm-hmm. on there. And... Uh, he asked me, well, why aren't we going to do any cocktails? Like, you, you, you don't want to put a cocktail list on there? And when I, what I told him is what I, when I first wrote our bar manual, the very first line says, we are not a cocktail bar. Yeah. However, that does not mean that every single one of us should, be, should not be able to make a great cocktail. We should right. all be able to make great cocktails. I think we're, we're getting to a post-cocktail sort of world, so to speak, in that, like post-cocktail bar world, yeah. in that we're getting... We're at a point now where we have great bartenders that can make great cocktails. They don't necessarily need to be at the death and coast of the world. You don't necessarily right. need every single tool available to you to make, a, to make a great cocktail. You can make a great cocktail with inferior ice or not the best spoon. or You yeah. know, it's fine. It's just a matter of training. But more important, it's just a matter of caring. I mean, you, you, can, you can train a monkey to make a great cocktail. You can't train a monkey to care about cocktails. Though. Yeah. If you and, care, you'll make a great one. I think really like what what you're saying is, and to me, I mean, like because I feel this way as well. I feel like, you know, with so many more cocktail bars, like classic cocktail bars opening, it's it's important for us to remember that this this is only still like maybe three percent to maybe two percent of like the bars 
in New York City. Yeah, there's like 40,000 bars in New York. Something yeah. like that. So, I mean, like, you and I might be a little bit jaded by this, but, I mean, the rest of the world, they're not. And they're, it's still really important for them to find a place like that where they can get a quality drink because they can't, still can't get it everywhere. I mean, right. So, when people come to New York City, they told where to go and they that's when they come see us or our you know our buddies at you know death company or dram you know and really what it should be doing the way we should be thinking about this is that it's only making bartending across the board a more validated uh profession yeah absolutely it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats sort right. of scenario so it's like if you elevate the craft to this thing nice <laughs> nice nautical <laughs> reference oh oh, oh. I'm wearing, and you're I'm wearing an anchor tie. Anchor tie. Just wow. so you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, just to bullet point it, I think the if you're to, to wrap up the drink in one concept, it's a it's a dive bar plus plus. It's it's a really unassuming place. Uh, we can make you a great cocktail if you'd like. Really, it's best to go there with a group of four friends, enjoy a bowl of punch. It's very reasonably priced. Our wells are all super inexpensive. The whole thing is to provide a great quality drink and experience with no fuss and no pretentiousness whatsoever great um so tell us a little bit more about you've been repping for uh bulls geneva now for a little over a year a little over a year now yeah um can you explain to our listeners uh those who are unfamiliar with this product what it is cool yeah uh geneva is amazing in that it's uh, it's the predecessor to gin, but it's very much not a gin. Um, mm-hmm. Its story starts in the late 16th century. Um, the easiest way to think of it, the Geneva that we have now, is like a precious whiskey-like distillate with gin-like botanicals. Yeah. So you have a very malty, unaged whiskey-like base to it, and that's the majority of what goes into the spirit. Then part of that is redistilled with juniper, where it mm-hmm. becomes gin-like. And then you have a lot of your typical gin-like botanicals, uh, things like angelica, clove, hops, which is a little atypical. Um, and uh, that gives like a floral aromatic high note. In like the late 17th century, the British tried to approximate Geneva. They weren't able to do so due to lack of distillation methods, access to grain, different things like that. And they came up with the, with the London dry style of gin, which, you know, of course I love. Right. But uh, Geneva was one of the great classic mixing spirits, really up until Prohibition. It was outselling gin six to one in America. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was one of the dominant mixing spirits. All of us that were coming up in the cocktail world through the mid two thousands, we were looking at at all these books like Harry Johnson. I mean, uh, Harry uh, Harry Johnson, uh, Harry Craddock, Harry Craddock, um, and um, we we'd see Geneva in there, and we'd be like, what the, what does it really taste like? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when Imbibe came out, uh, David Wandridge said, you know, if you combine kind of one part Jameson and one part Plymouth, you kind of get towards where it's at. It's yeah. not a bad way of thinking yeah. of it. And so when, when Geneva finally came on the scene back in the United States in, in, in 2008, when it came back to the U.S., that is, um, it was really exciting for us because we could mix with this classic spirit and make all these classic drinks. Right. So to me, it's, it, was, it was kind of a no-brainer when they were like, oh, would you like to come on and you know, be a brand ambassador for... For us, I was like, yeah, I, what they what they represent to me as a bartender is exactly what I want to work with. And the way that they work with the with the bartending community, mm-hmm. I think is really positive. So I've been blessed to be a part of that. It's yeah. a fun, fun brand to build. And you brought a bottle with you today. And uh, we've been sipping on it a little bit. We've been sipping on it a little bit. You want bit. to talk about how we drink it in Holland? Not yes. we, not, you know, I'm not from Holland. But. <laughs> take take <laughs> us away. Uh, we've got a couple little shot glasses here. And 
over in Holland, they would drink it out of two of glasses. The, the whole adage is that you fill to the very, very top because the Dutch are notoriously cheap. So <laughs> when you fill to the top, you're kind of proving that you're not giving like a skimp pour. So when you, pr- when you fill to the top, it's so full that you can't really lift it up. So you have to lean over, slurp part of it, then you sip a beer, and then you drink the rest. That's called a kopstuja, which means uh, baby headbutt. <laughs> you just made that up. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just pull it out of my ass. No, um, it's called it's called a baby headbutt because when you lean over and slurp it, it uh, you run the risk of you know hitting your head on the bar. So, all <laughs> well, right. So you want to demonstrate one? Sure. All right. Here we go. Okay. You want to you want to do a play by play of what I'm doing here? Yes. He's pouring the Geneva into the shot glass. It's got full meniscus over the top. It's bowling over. All right. Uh, I'm I'm kind of afraid. We're gonna move them over by our yeah. fire mics a little bit. So uh, we're gonna lean over and slurp first. I'm gonna put the mic down next. Yeah, time. let's let's get it in there. Ready? <laughs> All right, now we're gonna drink a little bit of pilsner. Mm. Pilsner, pilsner, pilsner. So then you've got like the maltiness of the Geneva, right? With the maltiness from the beer. Exactly. I mean, that's together. the whole thing that, that separates it big time from gin is that it's extremely malty. And, uh, I mean, basically you have, like, a, a deconstructed boiler maker here. It, it's, the, it's the predecessor it's to the, the boiler maker. It's the boiler maker. Yeah. It's, it's the predecessor to everything, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now we cheers. Prost. All right. Prost. Excellent. That's good, Geneva. That's good stuff. Well, thanks so much for bringing it on. Thanks for talking to us about your bars, about Bulls, Geneva, and just uh, it's really good to catch up with you, man. Yeah, man, always. Well, we we don't get to see each other as often as four twenty. Never forget. Never forget. Yeah. All right. Thanks again to Frank Cisneros for coming on the show. Thanks to my producer Jack Inslee. This has been the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. In 2010, EscapeMaker.com won an Emmy Award for their agritourism webisode. So this year they thought, why not bring agritourism and green getaway ideas right to you? Come to the Green Getaways Local Food and Travel Expo on April 30th at One Hanson Place, home of the Brooklyn Flea and former Williamsburg Savings Bank. Presented by Amtrak, Zipcar, and I Love New York, the carbon-free event will be a day filled with food, prizes, workshops, and kids' activities. Over 50 getaway destinations, from counties to local farms and bed and breakfast within a day's drive or train ride of New York City, will be exhibiting on the main floor and in the huge bank vault downstairs. See what's hot in sustainable travel and receive special show-only discounts. Grow NYC will be doing workshops on the green market, and Appalachian Mountain Club will offer workshops on adventure bicycling and hiking via mass transit. EscapeMaker.com will be giving away over 50 getaway prizes, ranging from zipline adventure passes to an overnight stay at Mohonk Mountain House. Travel greener, eat local. Come to the expo on April 30th. Get your tickets now at www.escapemaker.com. 
The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great tasting, high quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today.